Well, hello friends, my name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and I wanna welcome you into this online space. As we begin our teaching and application time together, I want you to think of an experience in your life where someone stole something from you that belonged to you. Maybe you owned a business and an employee stole money from you. Maybe it was in a friendship scenario and that friendship was stolen from you by betrayal. Maybe you're a student and you feel that you earned a spot on a team or a club and someone else who'd put in less work than you was given that spot. Or maybe you went to court and you didn't get justice for something you felt like you were owed. Maybe you were a kid and a sibling stole your favorite toy and broke it. So I want you to hold that in your mind because when something is taken away from us, when we are defrauded by someone, a natural result is a breakdown in that relationship. And when relationships experience a clean break, we get to choose whether we want to put them back together again through the process of forgiveness. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks in this series. And the scriptures have a lot to say about forgiveness, what it is, what it isn't, how to go about it, what it takes to live together in a community that practices and forgives each other well when we wrong each other. And I think we just have to start by saying and acknowledging this is hard work. A noted 20th century novelist and author, C.S. Lewis, uh, who wrote the Narnia Chronicles, once said, we all agree forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. And this isn't a new phenomenon, of course. In the first century world into which the Bible was written, we have a story of a business person, a respected Roman citizen in the ancient city of Colossae, and his name was Philemon. Philemon, along with his wife, Aphia, was the leader of a house church. And it's perhaps ironic and appropriate to remind ourselves that the earliest Christians met in living rooms like you're probably doing right now and not in auditorium. So we're just kicking it old school here at Jericho these days. Uh, but Philemon had a problem. And that is that one of his servants had taken something from him. He had defrauded him. He'd wronged him in some way. We're not entirely clear as to why or how it happened. But this servant had run away. And now this servant is coming back home and Philemon is put in the very challenging place of determining if and how to offer forgiveness to a person who had wronged him. So turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to the New Testament book of Philemon. It's the shortest book in the Bible written by Paul, who was one of the early leaders in the Christian movement. And Paul writes the following to Philemon. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Philemon chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our brother, beloved co-worker, our sister Aphia, our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. 
So this is just a very typical introduction, a salutation for a New Testament letter. Paul continues in verse four. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all of the good things that we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. So this is very warm, very personal, almost an intimate sense of uh, the relationships that are occurring between Paul and Philemon in this letter. Paul doesn't write, as he does in some other places, out of a position of apostolic authority. He isn't writing to correct bad behavior or theology. He has this genuine relationship with these people. And he sees genuinely good fruit in their lives. Things like love, things like faithfulness, kindness on display. And in verse six here, he starts to make the request and get to the real reason that he's writing his letter. Let's continue in verse eight. This is why, Paul says, I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while he was here in prison. And Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. And I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart, says Paul. So now we get to the backstory of this book of Philemon. Onesimus, while he was a servant, defrauded his master Philemon in some unknown but significant way. And it's significant enough that Onesimus runs away. And while he's running away, or sometime during the time he ran away, he comes into contact with the apostle Paul, maybe in prison himself. And Paul shares with Onesimus the message about Jesus, about the kingdom of God and the reconciling work of the Spirit of God, and Onesimus opens his life and responds to God's grace and believes, puts his trust in Jesus. Onesimus's name actually means useful. And so Paul's making a play on words here. He says, yeah, he is become a useful helper to me here while I'm in prison. And Paul and Onesimus have experienced this unity in Christ because now, Paul says, they're part of the same spiritual family. All the old divisions of race or class or a hierarchy of men over women or a social structure between slaves and people who are free are erased by the reconciling work of the cross. And Paul says here, as he does in other places, that if all who are in Christ are one family, because of the work of Christ. And this is what Paul means when he uses the phrase good news or the phrase that we would use, the gospel. 
And we've talked extensively about this in some of our past series, like our uh, study in the book of Galatians last year. I love how author uh, Brennan Manning expresses it this way. He says, the good news of the gospel of grace cries out, we are all equally privileged but unentitled beggars at the door of God's mercy. That's the message of the good news and the saving work of Jesus. And friends, if that's new to you, then I wanna encourage you uh, that we're going to invite you to actually indicate that you wanna take that step. And so you just do that by clicking that you would like to receive Christ and then you'll be in touch with one of our pastors and we'd love to pray for you. Well, Paul writes this and it's all fine and good, but Paul now finds himself in a rather delicate position because Onesimus and Paul are one in Christ, but Onesimus has still wronged and defrauded Philemon. So there's a broken relationship that exists. So at some point before the writing of this letter, Paul says to Onesimus, hey, you have to go back and you have to make this right. And in the book of Colossians, chapter four, verse nine, we actually get an indication of Paul saying this. Paul says, I am sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He will tell you everything that's happening to me here. So Paul's writing from prison and he writes both a letter to the church in Colossae and also a personal letter to his friend Philemon. And then he gives both of those letters to Onesimus and says, hey, can you deliver both of these for me? So can you imagine Philemon looking out his window one day and seeing his former slave Onesimus walking up to the house, knocking on the door? If I'm Philemon, my first response is something like, not, oh, welcome here, I'm so glad you're back. It would be like, you have some nerve here showing your face around this place again after what you did. You come in here, I will give you a piece of my mind and or I may give you the beating of your life. And we have to remember that in the first century world, the social structure was just so different than what we understand today. It was such that slaves or servants were really considered nothing more than property. They were at the very lowest rung on the social ladder. And in fact, Roman law would have dictated that because Onesimus was a slave, and had defrauded his master Philemon, Philemon had a legal responsibility to punish Onesimus so severely and probably publicly so that other slaves wouldn't get ideas in their heads and they would understand that their masters were in charge and not to be trifled with. Yet here comes Onesimus and he's bearing this letter from Philemon's dear friend Paul asking that Philemon receive Onesimus back into his home and show kindness to him. And we have to understand this is a big ask that Paul is making here. This is not a small favor. So let's break down two of the principles that we see in the opening section of this letter that can help us better understand the what and the why and the how of practicing forgiveness. So the first thing to note here is that genuine forgiveness, friends, is never coercive, it's always collaborative. 
So you'll notice what Paul does not do. Paul does not pull out his apostolic authority and say to Philemon, I insist that you forgive Onesimus. And Philemon, why, Paul? Because I'm your spiritual father and I say so, that's why. What would Philemon say? Probably, you can't make me. <laughs> I, I can remember, and probably you can too, times growing up when my brother or I had done something mean or horrible to our sister. And my parents would march us out, sit us facing each other, and make us apologize to each other. And pretty often, this was a case of, I'm saying I'm sorry with my mouth because you are making me do this, but you and I and she all know that in my heart, I'm saying sorry, not sorry. And the reason for this is pretty simple. You just cannot coerce genuine reconciliation. If you have to force someone to say they're sorry, there likely is not genuine repentance present, and therefore we're not actually talking about offering genuine forgiveness if it's coerced. You see, Paul actually does have an apostolic right in Christ to demand that Philemon forgives Onesimus, but he chooses not to exercise that right. In fact, each of them, if you think about it, in this relationship owes the other person something. Philemon owes Paul a deep debt for the spiritual input that Paul has made into Philemon's life. Paul is like Philemon's spiritual father. And Onesimus owes Philemon restitution for the wrong done. And Philemon owes Onesimus harsh punishment for the wrong done. And Paul takes that first step and he goes first and he actually lays down his rights and he invites Philemon to lay down his right to punish and hold it over Onesimus. The author of the Theology of Work commentary on this passage notes that really each of these parties has a claim over the others, but Paul seeks to have all the debts and claims relinquished in favor of a mutual respect and mutual love and service. See, here's the important caveat that we need to understand about forgiveness. Because some of you immediately in your minds rush to think about a place or a situation where you were wronged. And people that maybe wounded you in a significant way, either financially or emotionally or spiritually. And you might be asking yourself, hold on Brad, are you just saying I should roll over and say, no biggie, I forgive you in Christ, no problems. And I want you to hear clearly that this is not what the text is asking of you. See, this passage presumes that there is a mutuality. There's a genuine willingness on the part of others to come and make genuine and real restitution for wrongs done. That's where real forgiveness, mutual forgiveness can take place. I can think of an example recently uh, in my own life. I was approached by a person uh, who emailed me and said, essentially, will you forgive me for all of the wrong stuff I've ever done or said against you? And I have to admit, I really wrestle with this one because I, I am not sure that they're willing and ready to name the real hurt that happened between us. And so this felt to me a little bit like an ask for a blanket, I forgive you. And I wasn't quite sure how to respond. So I emailed back and said, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and I'm still working this one out, friends. 
because I'm not, I have to wrestle with it. Is there a sense of mutual respect and a desire for us to move forward in a healthy relationship? Does genuine interpersonal forgiveness, it's gonna be built on a framework of mutual collaboration and respect. And so I'm still working that one through and I invite you to pray for me on that one. The second thing that we see in Paul's writing is that genuine forgiveness is an act of compassion, not an act of pity. See, look with me at verse seven. The phrase of verse seven is the same word picture that Luke uses in his gospel to describe the heart of the father as it's drawn toward the prodigal son when he sees the son at a distance. Or it's the same phrase in which the good Samaritan is described to be moved with loving compassion to meet the needs of the man who was robbed and beaten on the side of the road. Forgiveness, sometimes we talk about it as an act of the will or an act of the intellect, but but it also is an act of the emotions, of being drawn toward something or someone with compassion. Paul says in verse six, Philemon knows what this is like because he himself has experienced the magnitude of being forgiven, being forgiven by God. Philemon has come to know in his own life and experience all of the good things that the grace of God have brought into his life as a result of being in right relationship with Christ. Philemon has come to live out of that place of being transformed and renewed in his life and in that way of thinking. He's become a generous person. He's become a kind person. And Paul says he's not only just had an intellectual experience or understanding rather of Christ, he's also had an experience of lived compassion. He's become a person whose kindness then also refreshes and pours into the lives of others. You see, for Paul, And for the writers of the New Testament, a compassionate heart is the mark of a transformed life. The essential fruit of saving faith isn't just that somehow you've come to, in your head, believe something different or new about who you are or who Jesus is. The essential fruit of saving faith is is that you come actually into a transformed relationship. Not only a transformed vertical relationship with God, but also a transformative relationship with other people. So on the surface, Uh, of this book, the presenting question for Philemon is, will Philemon forgive Onesimus? Stay tuned next week for more on that. But the real question is actually Philemon's standing before Christ, not Onesimus's standing before Philemon. See, Paul sees this, that knock on the door moment where Onesimus has come back to Philemon to deliver his letter as that litmus test for Philemon's faith, will Philemon put into practice all of the stuff that he professes to believe about love and kindness and Jesus, or will that simply remain as all theory and nice theology? So Paul makes his a very direct appeal to Philemon based on love. And friends, this appeal to love is really the principal motive and the norm of Christian contact and conduct. Because love has a transforming 
effect, not only on persons, on us as individuals, but actually on communities that live and make an agreement to live by the law of love. That appeal to love actually transforms the way that we engage with other people when they come to us and ask for forgiveness or when we go to them and ask for forgiveness. And so I want you to go back and think again about that area in which you have been wronged. Maybe it's just a small area. Maybe this week you were slighted by a spouse or a friend in some way. You felt you were owed more help with childcare or household tasks or whatever it was. Maybe you feel like you were owed an in-person connection point because Dr. Bonnie Henry's easing some restrictions and the other person wasn't ready for that or didn't feel that way. And it can be easy for us in little things or in big things to begin to harbor resentment in our hearts. And that can build over time. And so as we wrap up this time uh, together, the teaching portion of our time together, I want you to just picture that hurt, that point where you felt wounded or you felt slighted or someone took something from you. Maybe you need to just close your eyes. And I want you to picture that in your hand. Maybe it's in a closed fist and you've been holding on to that for a long time. And maybe for you as an act of forgiveness and the practice of forgiveness, you need to, as you picture that in your hand, just open up your hands and just release that again to Jesus and say, God, I am choosing in this moment because of your grace and love that you've poured into my life to release the debt that that person owes me. I forgive them. I choose to forgive them. And then I want you to think this week, you may have to do it a number of times because it may be a deeper wound for you. It's important to try and keep short accounts with one another. I want you to think about how you might then go about uh, an act of blessing for that person in this week. Maybe it's sending them an encouraging email. Uh, and you're not going to list all of the things and the reasons why you're such a virtuous person that you forgave them. Just let them know, you know, I've been thinking about you, I've been praying for you, and this is a hard season we're walking through all together. This will be your act of just letting some of your pride go, letting some of your prejudices go, and asking Jesus, how can I be an instrument of your peace in this moment. And friends, I, again, this is tough work. And it may be that you want uh, some support and assistance in that. I would just encourage you, if you're on uh, the live stream, just click request prayer now. And then that'll put you into a private chat with one of our pastoral team and they would love to pray for you. You don't have to give them all of the details of the situation. You can just say, I'm really struggling in letting go of a hurt in my life. Would you pray with me and for me in that time? And we would be delighted and happy to do that with you this morning. Thanks for being with us, friends. God bless.